Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. Now, we're making our way to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I think that much of what I've shared with you here, absent, of course, the specifics of dates for different events, but the idea of continuing to encourage the body to come together in different ways, I do think this this theme flows in some respects through what we'll consider here uh, through the end of chapter 7. And so we're making our way to the end here. And most recently, Jesus has challenged us not to worry, to trust the Father, to care for us the way he does for the least of his creation. So how much more us being the chief Uh, the the pinnacle of God's creation made in his image. How much more does he care for us? And so Jesus says, don't worry. And then as we moved into chapter 7, we see a very clear exhortation regarding accountability and the importance of Christians being discerning and involving themselves in the lives of others when they see sin. But first, before we do that, dealing with the sin in our own lives, avoiding hypocrisy in order that we can truly minister to other people. And in order to do this, Jesus reminds us of the power of prayer and the importance of disciplined, diligent, and consistent prayer, recognizing that as a church we often fail in this area to do that which God calls us to, to strengthen us and to be able to lead and guide us through His Spirit. And as Jesus has called us to, this higher kingdom ethic throughout the Sermon on the Mount, revealing His ways versus the ways of this world, we find that it's more than just aspirational. That is, if if this is the way we are truly called to live, that it's not easy. Nevertheless, as Jesus brings this sermon to a close, He recognizes just that. That it is not easy. But yet, He does not give us a pass, per se. But rather, He calls us to the difficult way but the way that leads to life. As Jesus says in verses 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we give you thanks for our time together this morning. We thank you for the work that you are doing in and through this church, this body of believers. Lord, how you're blessing us, how you're faithfully caring for us. We thank you, Lord, also for your word that we look to now. And we pray, Lord, by the Spirit, give us understanding, help us to apply it to our lives here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As Jesus says these things here, inevitably for many of us, it paints a picture in our minds. Maybe you see a small gate with a path uh, beyond it that, that looks maybe at times difficult to travel. And, and perhaps then in the other direction, you see what looks like a nice, large, paved path, an easy route to take. Jesus compares these two, saying the narrow gate is the way to take. It may not seem like the obvious one, but it is in fact the right path. This is the way that leads to life. And oftentimes, this is the question of the critic. Why is the way so narrow? Why isn't it more accepting? Why is it so exclusive? Why don't both ways lead to life or to heaven 
or to God? And the answer is because they don't. No different than going east versus west on the highway takes you to an entirely different place, and that doesn't seem odd to anyone. If you get on I-20 going east, you know that you're eventually going to hit the ocean. You're not going to expect to end up in Georgia versus if you're heading west. That doesn't confuse us. But yet in this situation, Jesus paints a picture that should be obvious and people get confused. So people wonder, well, what is this gate? Well, the gate is Jesus. And He is the way by which we enter heaven. If you jump ahead for a moment to verse 21, you read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Notice that Jesus here is declaring himself Lord and stating that we're going to look to him in that day. He is the way. Elsewhere in John, in chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Or later in John In 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And while this way is offered freely by God's grace, it does not mean it is easy. Moreover, it is narrow, meaning that there are fewer who go this way. It's not going to be the popular way. There are going to be more who go the easy way, which is the way of the world. But the end destinations for both of these paths could not be more different. And for true evangelism to happen, for us to truly reach people, for true conversion to happen, this really must be established and reconciled that the ways are different and that the way to life is exclusive to Jesus Christ. Yet while it is only Jesus that one can be saved, The invitation to travel that way is open to all. Now this is important for us to reconcile in our culture today because increasingly in our culture, there is this growing relative morality. A post-Christian secular humanism that is saying that the meaning of life is to be free. Free to be me. Free to do what I want. Free to believe my own truth. But truth does not function that way. The fact is, truth is absolute. Only one thing can ultimately be true objectively. And people must realize that we all ultimately live for something. And unless that something is rooted in an objective Christian worldview, it will fail to do what you desire for it to do for you. We are seeing this moral relativism in our country begin to implode on itself. Because as much as the culture today says it's about everybody, it's really about self. And once self begins to conflict with the other self, it no longer functions. But remember, this is the easy way. It should not be surprising that many go by this way. It shouldn't be uh, surprising to us to look at an unsaved world and know that they're living the way that the world says they should live, right? fact is, eternity is not very tangible for us in many respects. Today, when you think of eternal life, it maybe does not seem that close or that real, more abstract. What does feel real oftentimes to us is 
today. What you're doing in the next hour. What you're doing this afternoon. And let's be honest with ourselves. What is more enjoyable in the short term and easier to choose? Self-denial and self-sacrifice or self-indulgence and having things your way? The latter is easier. It's easier to choose. It, it fulfills the lust of the flesh. Something catches your interest. Something becomes the object of your desire. Do you want to have it now? Or do you want to have it later? Both. <laughs> right? I have it now and later. Maybe that's the more common response. You see, it shouldn't be that hard for us to think about what the world tells us. All of those things. Have it your way. It's your truth. You believe what you want to believe. Do what you want to do. Have what you want to have. That's the easy way because it satisfies our flesh. And sadly, this type of thinking, this easy way, has made its way also into the church. As Jesus says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Jesus here gives us a bit of an agriculture lesson. Makes it clear, if it's a good tree, you should have good fruit. If it's a bad tree, you'll have bad fruit or no fruit at all. Growing up, up in southwest Michigan, there was a lot of orchards and vineyards around our area, and we'd often pass them on the way to school. And so my entire you know, elementary and junior high and high school, we'd go past this same farm, Schultz Fruit Farm. And on the left-hand side, as you're heading towards the school, you'd see all these apple orchards. And one day, we're heading to school, everything looked the same. On the way home that day, as you're now looking out the right-hand side of the vehicle, I, I couldn't help but notice that here an entire field almost was leveled. No trees, and what seemed like was probably the trees was a big giant pile that was on fire. What a spiritual lesson. Knowing someone who worked there, I asked them, what in the world did you do? Well, maybe it was like a field of dreams sort of thing, right? Plow up, nobody? Field of dreams, anybody? Yeah? Plow up the corn? Iowa, is this heaven? No? No? Okay. A few of you, yeah. Anyhow, why'd they tear them up? Because what looked like a good tree to me was no longer a good tree. The farmer wasn't disappointed at this point. Right? He knew what he had to do. Tear them all down, burn it up, plant new ones that will produce good fruit. It's really quite clear here as Jesus describes. And the fact is, there are false teachers in the church today that are teaching the easy way and leading people astray. As we, again, often recognize, it's not surprising when an unbeliever does things the way that the world does things, but what about when it's in the church? from someone who says they believe in Jesus. Yet there are many today, it would seem, in the church. And we are called to be discerning and to look for fruit in their lives. That's part of what Jesus has given us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Not to be judgmental or condemning, but yes, to judge, to discern, to evaluate only once we've dealt with the plank in our own eye before we deal with the speck in our brother's eye, but yes, still dealing with the speck, still being willing to go, wait a second here, something's off with this fruit. 
We are called to be discerning. And these people, these pastors in many cases, they don't teach sound doctrine. They teach a false gospel. And it sounds good. Why does it sound good? Well, because it's about you, right? It's about me. It's about us. It's about our flesh. It's about my life right now. It's about comfort and ease or prosperity and peace. It's not the kind of message that calls me to repentance because sadly for so many today, repentance is a bad word. I don't want to make people uncomfortable. I don't want to push people too hard. I knew a pastor once who said, no, I'll never do an altar call. I'll never do a gospel invitation that just makes people do far too uncomfortable. So why are you pastoring? What are you doing? And listen, I get it. You love it when you come to a passage in Scripture and it's like, man, this is like the, this is the motivational portion of scripture right it's just like this is yes we're going to be everybody's going to love this and then you come to passages of scripture that are hard and difficult and as a pastor yeah you think ah i just want to do a feel-good message today lord but we can't we've got to be obedient to the word sometimes things are hard if the message doesn't push us to go deeper if it doesn't train us to endure suffering it often then amounts to a motivational message and nothing more. If you watch Pastor Nick's devotional on Friday morning, it's exactly what he talked about, going deeper. And even though when you go deeper, it's hard and it can be painful and it can be challenging, it's incredibly sweet. The intimacy that you begin to enjoy with Jesus, the love that develops, the knowledge that you gain, we should be about knowing Him more no matter the cost. And when it's just a motivational message, in the worst case, it's led to false conversions, fake sheep, maybe acting like sheep, but they're not really sheep, and they don't even know it sometimes, or in many cases, weak sheep, malnourished, sick, and wandering, though outwardly they may look healthy and full. There's a lot of starving sheep in the church today. You see Titus, in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, it calls pastors to hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. You see, the call to pastors and elders here is to hold fast the word that through sound doctrine, through truth, will be able to exhort and bring conviction by the power of the Spirit. Of the false teachers, Paul writes later in verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. And also in 1 Timothy in chapter 6, in verses 3 and 5, Paul writes, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, or even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, from such withdraw yourself. He says, get away from them. You don't want to be led astray. Because he says there's a path that you're to be on. There's a way that you're to be on. And it's not necessarily an easy one, but again, it's the one that leads to life. Don't let anybody take you off of that. But this is happening in the church today. And tell me, where does it say in Scripture that you should have your best life today? Where does it promise in Scripture a life free of hardship or self-sacrifice? Where does Scripture tell you to live for yourself instead of pouring yourself out wholly for the sake of the Gospel? But you see, that's the easy way. Hit a service on Sunday, maybe a midweek, a few devotions in between, and to say, hey, we're good. 
and to continue in some cases just living for ourselves in this world that tells us that's okay. That's the easy way. And it's easy to find yourself on this path. And it's sad that there are posers in the pulpit today leading people astray. Now you might ask, so Pastor Brennan, you're not one of these guys? And I would say to you, friends, I am many things that I don't like. I am far from perfect, and sometimes the wickedness of my own heart astounds me. But I can tell you that I strive to teach the Word, and that I am ever aware of the judgment that awaits me if I do anything but that. And I take seriously the truth, as do all of the elders and any godly elder, not just in this church, but in numerous churches, that the truth that's declared in Hebrews, that, that as an under-shepherd, I bear responsibility for watching over your soul. That weighs on me. And this isn't about me, and it's not about venting. But the fact is, it is tough pastoring in this pandemic, or whatever you want to call it today. Because unlike we have faced before, there is a balance between both caring for your physical and spiritual well-being. Yet a challenge that is not going away, in my opinion, is the challenge of the physical. What if the physical risks only increase? As I've shared with you before, perhaps many weeks ago now, I would love to be able to stand here and say, I have a word from the Lord. This is when all of this is going to be gone and everything that we used to feel like was normal and we may long for is going to be back soon. I can't stand before you and say that. I simply cannot. Many of these things may pass. And, and listen, life is still blessed life. There's many wonderful things happening. God is still on the throne. He's still good. Through all of this and all the different challenges and even having COVID myself along with many others where I laid there in my bed for 10 days and thought, this thing's real. Do you know that there wasn't a moment? There has not been a moment through that entire time. And again, I don't say this to puff myself up, but I say it as a testimony and as an encouragement that in the midst of all that, though I have been frustrated at times, though I have been disappointed at times, though I've been a little confused at times, though there's been many different things, in it all, God has continued to say to me, I'm on the throne. I have your life in my hands. Amen? That has not changed. And I'm in, my faith has grown through all of this. And I pray yours has as well. And, and that's why I don't, it's, it's not about being Debbie Downer. It's about, let's just be real. There could be a whole other wave of things that come our way. And what are we going to do? I believe in this, and again, I'm not saying this is prophetic, but I believe that the Lord is purging His church right now. I've heard countless people testify to that same thing. And so we are in a time right now where as we look to the Word and the things that Jesus Himself teaches us to say, man, am I going to take this seriously? But listen, as it pertains to me saying, hey, I, I, I am many things, but I don't believe to be a false teacher, don't take my word for it. Use discernment. Test me in it. I don't say that in arrogance. That's what we're called to do biblically. Do your homework. Study the Scriptures. Be a fruit inspector. You know, uh, in a few weeks, sometime in October... I'm hoping to be able to, to take the kids up in North Carolina to Skytop Orchard. Anybody familiar with Skytop? Even in 2020, guys, trees are still producing fruit. Okay? <laughs> Praise God. And so there's this awesome orchard up there, and it looks out over the mountains, and you get to go out and you get to pick apples, and then when you're done, you get to have apple cider and these totally incredible apple cinnamon donut things. Okay? You're ready to go, right? I heard some other thoughts back there. Like when I talk about suffering, everybody's quiet. I talk about the donuts, and I, wait, 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 where do I get that, right? I get it, man. 
My point is, when we go up there and we go and you get to go out and you get to pick the fruit, we're just going to go out there and we're just going to randomly grab all these apples and throw it into a, a basket and go, right? No way! You're going to inspect it. You're going you're to go, oh, well, is this a good one? Is, is this a good one? I mean, Jesus is so smart in, in helping uh, the disciples and those that are listening to him to understand you've got to look, you've got to study it, you've got to be involved. So don't take my word for it. Dig in yourself. And I will tell you this, it takes time, but throughout my life as I've seen false teachers, those that I wasn't quick to say, hey, that's a false teacher, but you see things, you hear things, right? And you go, wait a second, that's not right. And it burns you up and you get angry because you know, man, this, this person's leading people astray. But you know what? It never fails. In time, the truth prevails. And so many of those guys now, they're not teaching any longer because they were found out. And you know, it is sad, but Jesus says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are many things for us to consider in this passage alone here, but while specifically Jesus here is speaking, yes, of false teachers, in my opinion, this applies to all of us. And this is a passage that got me when I surrendered my life to Christ. As one who professed to know Jesus, having prayed a sinner's prayer at a young age, I proceeded to then live my life with one toe in the world and one toe in church. And I pretended to be something that I was not. And when God began to peel back the layers and reveal these things in my life, there was a handful of scriptures that he used and he brought me to this one and I came to the conclusion that is me. And if Jesus comes back today, I'm going to be that person saying, well, what about this, Lord, and what about that? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. The other thing, though, that I think we should look at here is that we see here that these people Jesus is speaking of, and it suggests that they did some things in his name. They performed miracles, it seems, and you could say they had big ministries and they had powerful motivational messages. They had all the outward signs of success, but this should show us the perspective of our Father once again, just like we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that miracles and signs and wonders mean very little to God. What He cares about is the fruit, the Word of God, sound doctrine, right understanding, truly knowing Him. It's about saying you know Jesus and then living it out. Not perfectly, but being obedient. And we must pay attention to this as, as Jesus says, verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Hear and do. We, we love the simplicity of the gospel, and it is wonderful. Repent and believe, right? That's what, that's what we hear. And, and, but some people may say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I asked him into my heart, and now I'm saved. Well, maybe. Did you truly repent? Is your life changed? Is it in the process of changing? Are you bringing yourself under the authority of Scripture and allowing him to work and move in your life? Is there fruit of salvation in your life? You don't do these things. It's not that Jesus says do these things to be saved. Let's be clear. But when you are saved, you do these things. Your life begins to look different. And when you do, even though it's tough, it's hard, it's a narrow path. Anybody ever seen the, uh, the Rams in Israel 
that uh, they walk on the hillside and they climb the mountains. You ever seen those things? And the way in which they're able to scale these walls. You should look up these pictures sometimes, okay? And, and, and in some cases, I mean, these things are like, you've got, you got like that much of an edge and these things are like just stuck to the wall, okay? I mean, they're just hugging this thing. And this is a four-footed hoofed animal just <whistles> making along the way this, this tiny little path, right? And every time you see it, it's like, man, they're clinging to Jesus, right? Like that is a picture for us. Cling to Jesus, tight to him, tight to the rock, because the path is narrow, it's difficult. But man, where it goes. He says, if you do this, you're wise, like one who builds their house on a firm foundation. And you'll be able to withstand the storms of life and the challenges that come from walking this narrow and sometimes difficult path. He goes on to say, verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. And the fall is indeed great. Often it's a ruined and wasted life this side of eternity and one of eternal torment on the other. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I'm going to invite the worship team up to, to close us out in song here as we, as we begin to close. And Friends, when we began the Sermon on the Mount and when we hit the halfway point and really several times throughout, I've challenged us to take seriously the words of Jesus. That this sermon is not simply aspirational. It's not a nice view of how God would like things to be, but is absolving us because it's just too hard. Yes, the, 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 the grace and the mercy that we know through Christ's sacrifice upon the cross covers us. Praise God for that. It's not about you and your ability and your effort each day, but it is about you surrendering yourself and saying, Lord, I'm allowing you to change me and to convict me. And, and we must ask ourselves, what place does the Word of God have in our lives? To what extent are you seeking to, to, to be transformed and to align your life with His Word? This is the narrow way. It's not easy. But just because something is hard does not mean we're not called to it. I don't mean to belabor this, but it doesn't seem that the way that we are traveling is going to get any easier for us anytime soon. Fact is, person, persecution of the church has reached our shores. And right now it's quite mild. What kind of pastor would I be if I didn't consider part of my job the training up of people to endure persecution, to stand firm against it? As I stated before, I do believe that the Lord is purging His church right now. And sadly, there are some that are saying it's just too hard. It's not worth it. And this is not the first time that that opinion has been out there. I want for us to close, if you, and if you would, turn with me to John chapter 6 and verse 60 and following. I'll try to be brief here and Resist, as always, the two-for-one sermon special this morning. Come a, at a, to a point in Jesus' ministry here where he's continued to teach, and the fact is the things that he's teaching, much like what we've considered this morning, is kind of hard. It's just one of those things where you go, ah, I don't know, what about this, Lord? What about that? And we read, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Translated better there, it says, this is difficult to accept. And when Jesus knew in himself, verse 61, this is John 6, verse 60 and following, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? 
What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus says here in this moment, it's better for you to, it's better to be offended than to not listen and walk away. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray Him. And He said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted to Him by My Father. And in verse 66, From that time many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. They said, as it were, this is all too difficult. It's not worth it. I'll take the easy way. And then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And I can't help but feel as if I've heard it in my own heart, and perhaps many of you have, the Lord saying today, Do you want to leave? Do you want to go? You going to walk away? Is it getting too hard? And I pray that we, each and every one of us, like Peter, who gets it right here, sometimes Peter messes it up, but Peter nails it right here. In verse 68, But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is it in your heart this morning to say, Lord, there is nowhere else that I could go. No matter how hard it gets, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are my Savior and Lord. There's nowhere I can go. I'm going to continue to follow you, Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for our time together this morning, how sweet it is. And yes, Lord, we come sometimes to these portions of Scripture, and Lord, it's tough. And Lord, we know that, Lord, you don't look upon us with judgment and condemnation when we screw up. We praise you and thank you for that. And when you look at us, you see Jesus. You see that we're covered in the precious blood of the Lamb. But Father, we know that you call us to a higher standard. We know that you want to see transformation in our lives. We know that, Lord, your love language is obedience. So, Lord, help us to be so. To follow after you and to be obedient no matter what the cost is. That in this time in our country, Lord, that is increasingly divided and wicked, where persecution is growing against the church, when just even the act of coming to church, Lord, can pose a, as a bit of a difficulty. Lord, keep our eyes fixed on you and help us, Lord, to to not turn away because it's hard, but to have it in our mind and hearts, Lord, that there's nowhere we could go. We will rest in you and depend on you and look to you, Lord. For you are the way, the truth, and the life. So keep us faithful, Lord, and following after you, we pray. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.